0: We start today a, a new series, not just for Advent, Advent but over the next pr- couple of years actually. We'll take a few breaks here and there. But um, we're going to look at the, the Gospel of John. And so we're going to look at the, the whole thing uh, as, we, as we walk through the life of Jesus as John tells us uh, his story. The first 18 verses here, the first section that we're going to look at during Advent... Um, serve as sort of an introduction to John's Gospel, but also as an introduction to the person and work of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of what we're going to focus on uh, during these four Sundays of, of Advent leading up to our, our celebration on Christmas Eve of the, the, the birth of Jesus as we celebrate that all, uh, this whole month. Um, we're told in and, and the Gospel of John uh, later on, at the very end, John tells us kind of why he wrote of uh, this Gospel. Let's look at it real quick. Um, we'll come back to the, the main verse in a minute. In John 20, chapter 20, there's only 21 chapters, so at the end in chapter 20, he says this. He says, Now Jesus, remember this is after John has told us about all the things that Jesus has done or, or, or many of the things that Jesus has done. He says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of, his, of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these, the things that He's written here, He says these things are written... So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So John gives us, sort of at the end, rather than the beginning as we might do, the purpose statement for why he's writing his book, why he's writing this this story of Jesus' life out for us. And it's this, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Promised One from the beginning of time, and that by believing in Christ and the work of Christ on your behalf, which will become clear by the time we get to back to this verse at the end of John, the work that Christ has done for us by believing in Him, you may have life in His name. And so that's where we're going. There's kind of two themes that carry us through the the book of of John. You'll see them reflected here in our in our sermon uh, graphics. It says, see His glory and walk in His life. Those are kind of the two themes of the, of the Gospel of John. One thing John's going to do is he's going to tell the story of Jesus' life in such a way that we'll see the glory of God revealed through the life and work of Jesus Christ. And so our goal is we're going to have our eyes wide open to see the glory of Jesus Christ. As John talks about the things that he's doing, uh, the miracles that he works, the teachings that he gives, the, the life that he lives with his disciples and with the others around him and with the lost and with others. We want to see how God's glory is revealed through Jesus Christ. And then the other thing we want to see is that how through him and through his life, there's this holy light that uh, sort of illuminates the darkness of this world. It shines a path. Uh, a path of hope into the midst of darkness, into the darkness of sin, He brings life. And so their goal is to not just see His glory, but to follow Him and walk with Him in the light, to, to follow the path that He's laid forward for us. And so as we study and look at the, um, the life of, of Jesus here in the Gospel of John, those con- these concepts of glory and light Uh, become prominent and they're introduced here for us in these first few paragraphs that we're going to look at over these first four weeks of advent now this is my in in many ways my favorite christmas passage we've got the of course the stuff that we read every year and we'll read from isaiah Um, we read a little bit of that this morning already as we lit the candle Um, we'll read the from the gospel of luke which kind of gives the story in detail those are great stories i love the genealogy of matthew one that lays out where jesus comes from and the, the brokenness that uh, is even in his life and his ancestry. And so we will look at all those things are great. But my favorite is probably these first verses here in the Gospel of John that lay out sort of theologically um, what, what it means that Christ has come and sets the table for what we learn about him in the, in the Gospel of John. Um, they direct and point us to Jesus and to his work that we might believe in Christ as our Savior as he tells us here at the end. Alright, so I'm going to read uh, just the first three verses uh, of the Gospel of John and then we'll jump in and talk about uh, the things here. Here's what uh, uh, the Gospel of John says. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Let me pray for us. Father. As we come before your word. Would you give us understanding this morning? Would you open up our hearts and minds, our ears and our eyes to see and hear and know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? But most of all, would you work in our hearts that we might believe, that we might turn from our sin, repent of our failings, and walk with you rightly. To follow you in the light as you lead us make yourself known to us through Jesus this morning. Holy Spirit, work mightily. Convict us of our sin. Lead us in righteousness. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so the first question that comes up in these three verses is, who or what is the Word? What does that mean? Um, so, we, we kind of find out. I'll give you a, a sneak peek ahead a few verses. When we get to verse 14, it's the first time he kind of tells us, this is what I'm talking about when I say the Word. So in verse 14, he comes back, he brings up the word again. It's a title uh, for someone. Here it says, so who is this? It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only what? The only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So who is he talking about when he says the word? He's talking about Jesus. He is the one who took on flesh and lived among us. And so, uh, once again, so we see here in verse 14, we talk about glory and light. There we see the glory. That we have seen His glory. Uh, and then the hope is that we'll, we'll walk in His light, of course. Okay, but before we even get to the Word here, in the very first verse, He says, In the beginning was the Word. So before we even get to the Word, we see a phrase here that should cause us to stop in our tracks. Especially here at the beginning of this book, at the beginning of this Gospel. We see this This phrase, in the beginning. For a Jewish person reading this, there may be no more more familiar language. In the beginning, immediately, someone who's familiar with the Scripture, particularly a Jewish person who's read the Scripture their whole lives, are going to go back to what? The very first verses of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's so familiar, it's like the back of hands. If I start right now and I say, I pledge allegiance... To the flag of the United States of America. I so, say, oh, say can you see. We go, oh, I know that. We know that. Four score and 70 years ago. Well, that's all we know about that one. But we know what it is. Right? It breeds familiarity for Americans. This is, this is, we've been taught this. We've been catechized in these things. Right? And so for the Jewish person, there's nothing no more familiar. For us as Christians even, we're the same way. There may be nothing no more familiar than those words. In the beginning. Immediately we think about creation about the glory of God and the work in creating all things out of nothing for His glory. And so we're taken back to that. John is purposeful in his language here and he's purposely drawing our attention to the creation of the world. We'll come back to this issue in a few minutes as we walk through this because he's going to flesh this out uh, down in verse 3 for us uh, about you know, the creating aspect of, the, of this entrance of Christ into the world. Alright, so as we get through this, he says in the beginning we think creation. He goes, "Was the word? The logos is the Greek word there. The, the Jews would have reacted here to the concept of this word. Because they connect word and creation. Because how did creation happen? God spoke a word and it happened. God said, let there be light and there was light. And so the Jews would have understood that the word brings with it power and accomplishment it brings with it creative and artistic power, creating power, that God is a creating God, an artistic God, a creative God, who has made all things out of nothing. And so their minds go into that, and the Word gives weight to that because it's through His Word that God created all these things. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, I mean, more importantly, the, the concept of Word in Jewish history represented something concrete or sure. I like we said, when God spoke, something happened that there be light, there was light. Here's what Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says. It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Here's what he says. So shall my word be. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. So he's saying, So shall my word, the word of the Lord, be that goes out from my mouth. It... My word shall not return to me empty, but it, my word, shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so the the word of God for the Jewish mind accomplishes something. It's not just empty words. It's not just, you read the Psalms, and it's not just flowery language to encourage us or something. It has a purpose, it's sent out to accomplish something, and that's particularly true in creation where God says, let there be light, and there was light, and whatnot. This concept also seen again in Hebrews, which was a letter to the Jewish Christians. So once again, speaking to Jews here, this concept is applied to the gift of Jesus coming into the world. So in Hebrews chapter 1, the, the letter to the Hebrews starts like this. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So God spoke through the Old Testament prophets, right? And so he accomplished things through that, like through Isaiah and others. He says, so in the last, he says, so God spoke in long ago at many times in many ways to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, in the near days to when he was writing this, he says, he has spoken to us by his Son. That's Jesus, the Word, the Logos, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. Like I said, we'll come back to that in a minute. But once again, God's connecting for us the Jewish understanding of the word spoken with the Son of God. Um, but John was not just writing this letter to Jews. He knew that Greeks would read this letter as well. And so this very concept of the word of the Logos was very important to Greeks during this time. This concept of the Logos in Greek was formed by a philosopher named Heraclitus about 700 years before Jesus was born. He was famous for a saying. He said, "It is impossible to step in the same river twice." All right, now what was important about that is he was making a philo- philosophical point that the river is constantly changing. If you step into a river, you step out of the river, you step back into the river. The water in front of you changed. It's flowing. And so life, uh, the the Greeks understood that all of life was like this. Everything was constantly changing. Everything is in a state of flux, sort of. Um, uh, But with everything always changing, they asked, the Greek philosophers asked, why the world was not in complete chaos? Why does it not spin out of control? Well, Heraclitus found the answer in the fact that all the change around us is not random, that there seemed to be an order to the change. And he called this order the divine. Now, from his perspective, he saw it as an impersonal force. But he, he saw it as reason, uh, a logos, the word that controls change. That There was some sort of force, uh, guiding force, or, or divine within the, the universe that was um, leading things. He also saw that it was a small step. He understood that it was a small step from saying there is order and there is a sense of the divine. Um, a small step from that idea to the idea of order change in nature to what we would call the complete sovereignty of God in all things. He said this is very close to what some call the sovereignty of God. So he recognized that. And so this concept between is there just something divine or is there a God who is sovereign was debated in Greek culture. Throughout the days. And it would have been going on even in this day as John is writing this gospel. Uh, There was an understanding in that culture that there was a divine reason for the things that happened in this world. And so it's into this Greek culture, a culture familiar with the concept of a logos, a divine reason, that John so carefully uses this very concept, this very word, to describe Jesus Christ who is God in the flesh, the sovereign creator who has become human and entered into our world. So you understand why John uses this language. There's a debate already going on about what is the Logos, what is the creating force or the the guiding force in the universe. And in the midst of this, John says, I know who it is. It's Jesus. He's been sent by God and He is here. It is said that one day Plato, another Greek philosopher, said to a group of his students, he said, it may be that someday there will come forth from God a word, a logos, who will reveal all mysteries and make everything plain. He probably had in mind some wisdom or some teaching or some philosophy or maybe some proclamation from the skies. I don't know exactly what Plato was thinking. But John, the the apostle John here, is saying, I know who it is. I know who it is who Heraclitus is worried about. I know who it is who Plato may be wondering about. It's Jesus. And he has come to do that. He's come to tell us that all things have meaning, ultimately, in himself. The, John is letting the Greeks know that this Logos has come into the world. He's taken on flesh and lives among us. It was Jesus Christ, God made man, the light of the world. Alright, so what else do we learn in this passage? We learn that Jesus is the eternal one. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 2, he says, He was in the beginning with God. Jesus was in the beginning. John is telling us that Jesus is equal to God in his lifespan. That means he's eternal. We talk about how we live within the space of time, everything that we know is governed by time. But God has created time to govern our world. Outside of our world, there is no time. Things go on forever and ever and ever in all directions. What exists in that foreverness? God does. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Co-eternal. Existing forever in, in one person for all time. Outside of all time. For all of eternity. According to the things that were created in the beginning, Jesus was pre-existent. He was before Genesis. In the beginning, God created. Well, Jesus existed before the beginning of this world. That's what He's getting at here. To rightly know and understand Jesus, we have to go back before time began. Jesus is infinite. He's immeasurable. He has always existed as the Son of God. And when He says God here in this passage, He's referring to the Father. And so, Jesus is always existed, just as God the Father has existed for eternity past and will exist for eternity present. we said, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have always existed as they are now, as three persons in one Godhead. And so John is aware of this. He's making a point. He's being purposeful here. He wants us to know that Jesus, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one God existing in eternity as one being. And three distinct persons. Jesus was with God. He shows here they were distinct personalities. But he also says Jesus was God. Not saying that he was something different, but that even before creation he was God. It's not something that changes because he takes on flesh and lives among us. He continues to be the God of all eternity. John is being careful here not to teach the heresy of modalism. The heresy of modalism teaches that God changes according to His needs, that sometimes he's God the Father when He's governing and ruling, He was God the Son when He came and did the work of redemption. Now at times he's the God he's God, the Holy Spirit, He takes on different personalities and different as He's needed. Throughout time. But the reality is that's not the truth about God. God exists as one per as one God and three persons. Now that's a mystery. We don't understand how all of that puts itself together. But scripture teaches it. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God and three persons. They don't change, they exist co-eternally together as three distinct persons within the one Godhead. So God is the Father, Jesus is the Son, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. It's always been that way. And they work together to accomplish the one will of God. We also see it in the language used to describe Jesus coming into this world. In Isaiah 9, 6, he says, To us a child is born, to us a son is given. To us a child is born, to us a son is given. In Galatians 4, 4-5, he says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so uh, putting those two things together from Isaiah and Galatians what we see is that from our perspective we could look at this, the birth of Jesus as sort of just an event a baby being born. We go, oh there was a baby being born he may even be special there's a light shining on him from heaven there's angels singing we see that it might be special but from our perspective it's a baby being born. But from God's perspective, it's a son being sent into the world to accomplish his will. To coming, not not without purpose, but with the purpose of all purposes. To do the thing that has been proclaimed from the beginning of time. To redeem mankind from their sin. And this is the word made flesh. This is God taking on flesh and moving into our neighborhood to accomplish that purpose, to accomplish the will of God, which is the salvation of His people. All right, so the third thing we see here is that Jesus is the Creator. In verse 3, it says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Okay, so that's a little bit convoluted way of saying, of course, John's making a point there with how he says it. But what he is getting at is that Jesus made everything. He is the agent of creation. John equates Jesus with the creator. So think about all the things that you love about creation. All the amazing things in the expanse of the universe that amaze you. you know, have you been following the obsession that some in our world have about, have about creating an environment on the moon or on Mars where humans can live? Remember they said I read an article this week that said somebody's promised that we'll have a colony on the moon within the next decade. I'm like, okay, we've been saying that for what 50 years now. But you know, and and they may tell you it's because the Earth is crowded and we got to find more space to live or whatever. It's more real estate. I, I don't know about all that. But what I think is truly behind this obsession is a fascination with what's out there. We just want to go. By nature, God has given some of us this adventurous, <laughs> exploring spirit that wants to go even beyond this world into the worlds that are out there to see what's there. Can we live there? Can we? They're willing to risk their life for this adventure. And so, there's a sense within us of wonder, of amazement, of of the otherness. You know, the 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 stronger our telescopes get, the more we see of the universe. There's An expanse of planets and solar systems and galaxies and clusters of galaxies and superclusters and things that I don't even know what they call them because there's other things they see and they don't even know what to call them yet. There's so much out there that God has made. Sometimes we get so obsessed with what's out there we forget to be amazed by the things that are right around us, the things of earth, the complicated bodies that we live in, the miracle of life. Itself, The birds which sing in the morning and the mountains that rise from the dirt. And we give thought to all these things. But yet as we give thought to these things, we need to remember that when we're amazed by the creation, be it out there or nearby, Jesus did that. All of it had a cause and the cause was Jesus Christ. He is the agent of creation. He made all those things. And they were made for Him. And yet He shares them with us that we might worship and praise Him above all things. Let's look at what Colossians says about Him. It says, He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, meaning the primary thing of all creation, the, the, the most important thing of all creation. For uh, Although He wasn't created, He entered into creation, became the most important and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. He has not only come to be a baby in a manger, to be worshipped, to be glorified. He came to die. He came to reconcile all things to himself. Or as it's said in another place, he has come to make all things new. Jesus is the creator, and as he comes to give new life, he's also the recreator. He comes to give us new life. And so as we enter this Advent season, I hope we enter it with a, with a time of wonder. I mean, that's what our culture says oftentimes. You'll walk through shopping centers and see the word wonder the miracle of the season, you know, joy, hope, peace, all these things are out there for us, but what do they mean? What do they mean? For some of us, they simply mean family's nice. We get to spend time with our family. We get a few days off work. Uh, You know, we'll, we'll paint things white and red and have trees and lights and oh, isn't it nice? But for us, we see beyond those things to the meaning of the season. We see that these things don't have glory in and of themselves. The things of this world are glorious because the one who made them, the one who spoke them into being, took on flesh and lived among us. When Eugene Peterson translated that, he said that, that Jesus took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He became one of us. Like us. But also not like us because He was perfect. And in His perfection, He was able to lay down His life as the Creator that there might be recreation, that things might be made new, that we might move from death, spiritual death, to life. From walking in darkness to walking in the light. This is why Christ has come. And so we rejoice in the, the things that we seek. And so we've got to be aware and ask ourselves this season, this Advent season, are we consciously aware that Jesus is more than just a baby in a manger? That He's maybe even just more than a man. If He's just a man, just a human, then we're wasting our time celebrating His birth, celebrating anything about Him. But if He is God, as John is wanting us to see here, He is the Word become flesh. He is the Logos, the Creator, the Ruler, the, the... the overseer of all things. In Him all things hold together, right? Colossians says. If He is that, then He demands our worship. He demands our total allegiance. He deserves to be our first love. Remember John 20, 31 that we started with? Jesus didn't come into the world so that we might simply have a reason to light candles and put up trees and sing happy music and throw big parties during a somewhat dreary time of the year. No, he came to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Logos, the first cause of everything and the reason behind everything. And most importantly, the one who would lay down his life as a a sacrifice for sins, as a ransom for sinners, to set us free. He's more than a man. He is God. He's worthy of our attention. He's worthy of our obedience. He's worthy of our worship. Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth about Jesus. Would you give us eyes to see beyond the things of this world that might distract us? God, would you use those things of this season, the carols, the trees, the lights, the celebrations, to remind us that there's a glory beyond what we can see? Would you help us to believe and put our faith and trust in Jesus? As we sing songs about the baby in a manger, may we not forget that that Christmas is nothing unless Easter is true. Christ didn't come simply to give us a reason to party. But we party because that baby grew up to be a man who laid down his life for us and for our sins and for our salvation. Help us put our faith and hope and trust in Him and have life and to walk in the light as He is in the light. Thank You for loving us. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen.